Welcome and thank you for joining us for episode 002 of Fatal to Prejudice. In what was famously called in 001, the lab here, uh, we'll see what my guest today thinks of it. Uh, but I got my, my cousin Gary here. Uh, he's got quite an interesting life. Uh, I want to welcome him in and thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I love the name The Lab. I mean, this is, I mean, for all the listeners here, I mean, this is just a office painted with black walls and there's like sound tiles in here, but it's really awesome. It feels like a lab. It really does. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So you're cool with the lab. Yeah. All right. I'm cool with it. All right. We'll see what, uh, we'll see what everyone else thinks uh, when they show up. We're just going <laughs> to, just awesome. going to keep asking what people think we should call it. So two votes for the lab so far. Yeah. Anyways, I'm super happy to be here. Um, definitely have a, a big story to share. All right. Um, yeah. Let's let's go ahead and just jump into it. So we're actually cousins. Uh, I'm slightly older, but that doesn't mean I'm a whole lot wiser. <laughs> um, That's all subjective. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, fun fact about our family really quick is the side that I am related to Gary on is Jewish. So... I didn't grow up that way, but he did, and I'm very excited to hear about what he has to say. Yeah, so uh, I grew up, uh, you know, modern Orthodox, uh, Jewish. Um, you know, my mom is Jewish, my dad is Jewish. Um, you know, both their parents are Jewish. <laughs> um, you know, that's the way the story goes: is uh, you know, your mom, your mom has to be Jewish, and you know, so on and so forth. That's the family line. Um, and so, yeah, I'm Jewish. I grew up Jewish. Um, you know, I attended um, preschool at a Jewish institution. I w went to uh, the Jewish Community Center of Columbus uh, for preschool and then uh, went over to Columbus Torah Academy, uh, which is the only, uh, at the time, it was pre-K through uh, 12, uh, but now it's kindergarten through 12. Um, but it's the only uh, modern Orthodox kindergarten through 12 uh parochial school here in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, and so I was fortunate to be able to go there. Um, you know, I had a really awesome upbringing. Um, you know, the Jewish calendar is full of tons of holidays, uh, you know, lots of fun stuff. Speaking of holidays, you know, right now we're kind of in the middle of, you know, the high holiday season. Um, you know, so that's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It brings back a lot of childhood memories. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, from going to synagogue and all that, um, you know, and going through uh, elementary school and, and high school as a, a Jew in a Jewish private school, um, you know, I had a lot of advantages. You know, I did not really face adversity uh, much, you know, and, and I'll get more into that later. Um, you know, I had to face a lot of adversity in college. Um, but again, I'll touch on that later. Um, so yeah, so went to Columbus Torah Academy for uh, school uh, from, I mean, I really, I did start there in pre-K, kindergarten, all the way through 12th grade. Um, but anyways, uh, I started struggling with grades. Um, you know, I tried to be, you know, I, everyone always thought that I was like the bright kid. I'm the oldest in my family. Um, you know, but again, in like fifth, sixth, seventh grade, I started st struggling with grades and, you know, no one could figure out what was going on. And, uh, 
So I had an appointment with a psychiatrist trying to figure out what was going on. And lo and behold, I was diagnosed with ADHD. And uh, fun fact, when I was in eighth grade was also when I decided that I wanted to become a dentist. Um, so I'll kind of touch on that story. Okay, hold on. You've got a lot going on here. Um, Sorry about that. No, great. You've got a lot of cool things happening. Um, so real quick, like from where I grew up, like kids were diagnosed with ADHD like pretty young, uh, you know, like five, six years old, whatever. And you're getting diagnosed way after that where you're like, what, like 10, 12 years old or something? Yeah, I was, well... I didn't get diagnosed until I was 13. Wow. Um, yeah, I was 13 at the time. But yeah, and I had, it's funny that you say that because a lot of kids that I knew growing up, you know, they would get, di well, not a lot of kids, but a handful of kids I knew growing up got diagnosed when they were in second or third grade, you know, yeah. and they're like seven, eight, nine years old, you know, so it's at a much younger age. And, you know, it's, it's funny that there are a lot of people that say that like, they have a problem with hyper kids and then they send them to a psychiatrist and the psychiatrist just diagnoses them with ADHD. Yeah. And they're, they're like, just give them some meds and let's get them out of here. Right. Like so, they'll be fine. And that was kind of like the theme, you know, when we grew up in the nineties, like that was just what was happening is there were kids that were hyper, they were going to the doctor, doctor was putting them on meds, but yeah. So, you know, I, like I said, I wasn't a hyper kid, you know, I, I grew up as a bigger kid, you know, I've always had a thicker frame body, <laughs> um, you know, so, um, yeah, so I was, wasn't a hyper kid. I just started struggling with school in fifth, sixth, seventh grade. And that's when parents decided to, you know, to kind of take me to a psychiatrist and figure out, you know, what's causing the problems. Okay. Yeah. So then you get diagnosed in like middle school age, sixth, seventh, eighth, whenever that was. It was about, it was like probably the beginning of eighth grade was when I actually got diagnosed. Okay. So then you're going, you're already like hitting puberty and you're going to go into high school, like facing this battle. I, I guess we'll call it a battle, right? It's not yeah. that it didn't really phase you. It didn't seem right. And, and I, truth be told as an adult, you know, more or less a preteen, I guess. I didn't really know what that meant. You know, I was learning what every every eighth grader was learning, which was uh, algebra and <laughs> yeah, algebra, you know, physical science. World you know? War II. Exactly. <laughs> Civil War, like stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, we're, you know, I guess, you know, we're not developed, you know, our brains enough to be able to really comprehend what that meant. You know, we're just kind of told we're I'm, I was diagnosed and I was told, you know, take this medication and you'll be better. Yeah. And you're like, cool. I just accept that fact. You don't know any better. Yeah. OK. Yeah. And so so I, you know, went. So then really throughout all of high school, you know, I would take my ADHD medicine in the morning. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I was prescribed Concerta. Every medication is different for every, um, you know, individual. Obviously, the doctor has to make that decision. Um, you know, but that's what the doctor determined was best for me. And I, I became really successful in high school. You know, I, I, when I started, uh, my ADHD treatment, I started to get that, like a sense of ambition. And I started to, not that I didn't really have that before, but it you never kind of, really occurred. You kind of figured out what you wanted to do. Exactly. Yeah. 
you started I, figuring out your life that you weren't just you know a kid that's gonna go to school you, exactly. you got dreams now <laughs> and yeah you mentioned that's one it. way to look at it you mentioned it uh earlier you wanted to be a dentist yeah so i yeah i did i was so it's funny when i don't know why it happened in eighth grade but i was just thinking about what i want to do with my life and you know i my uncle one of my uncles on the other side of my family from you um he's a physician he's a doctor and uh you know he you know i remember him working late hours um you know having to chart stuff you know and do stuff on his computer late at night and i didn't want that life you know i didn't you know he's had told me horror stories of residency you know having to put in 24-hour shifts at the hospital you know that that's not something i want to do yeah it sounds terrible and so i was starting to think what i wanted to do with my life but i knew i wanted to help people i knew i wanted to go into some type of healthcare field but i didn't want to become a physician and so i had to figure out you know well what else is out is out there you know and in my 13 year old mind, you know, all you really think is like, you know, it's funny, like the stereotypical, you know, Jewish mother is happy when she has a kid who's a doctor, a lawyer and an accountant <laughs> or some mix of the three. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so I, I really, you know, kind of growing up, it was like, well, either you're going to become a doctor, a lawyer or an accountant or some type of professional. And, you know, so that's what, you know, in my mind I had to do. And so I decided that I wanted to become a dentist. You know, I always, you know, again, going back to the Jewish thing, I was in synagogue every Saturday for the Sabbath. And, um, you know, one row behind me always sat my dentist. And so we would have conversations and I always had a great relationship with my dentist. I loved going to the dentist. I had one cavity as a kid on a primary tooth, a baby tooth. And obviously I lost that tooth. You know, so I have no fillings in my mouth, no crowns, no, I had no severe dental disease, no severe dental issues. Uh, the only dental surgery I've ever had was my wisdom teeth taken out. And I only had two of those, so I'm only half as smart <laughs> as I should be. <laughs> wow, you are a straight savage because you're the only person I've ever heard that say that they don't hate going to the dentist. Like everyone else I know is like, I hate this. I don't want to go to the dentist appointment. Like I hate it so much. And here you are like, I love the dentist. It's so fun. <laughs> it's, I'm going on an adventure. Exactly. And, 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 and so going into that, when I grew up loving going to the dentist and people were always like, I hate going to, like I was, I was leaving school early to go to a dentist appointment. I was like, yeah, I'm going to a dentist appointment. And these other kids were like, why are you happy you're going to the dentist? Like, I'd be scared. Right. You know, like they were like, you know, like their mom would come to pick them up from the dentist and they'd be hiding in the coat closet or, hi- or <laughs> they'd ask a, 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 a older kid to push them into a locker or something because <laughs> they didn't want to go. <laughs> so, man, I, I'll look back uh, and just like, think about when my parents would schedule my doctor's appointments and they always scheduled it like after school oh i'm like this blows everyone else i know is leaving for their appointments throughout you know months whatever and i'm like shit my appointments at like five (laughs) o'clock is the worst well that's the, the funny thing is is that like when you're in elementary school really you know and even in middle school too school doesn't matter and, and once you get to college, obviously, high school doesn't matter. But So true. 
But, you know, I guess what might have helped me like going to the dentist was that I'd get a bonus. I'd get to leave school early or something. I don't know. Other than the fact that my dentist never hurt me. And that's, you know, there's some kids that, you know, genuinely hated going to the dentist because either they weren't numb enough or, you know, it's just it happens. Right. You know, and so it's unfortunate, you know, that it happens, but it, it does <laughs> oh yeah i i was scarred for life from my dentist growing up like they were like oh we're just gonna take this like i don't know what the stabby thing is but like well, which just... one there are a bunch of them <laughs> <laughs> all of them <laughs> he took all the stabby things and he's like i'm just gonna poke all in the gums like oh my god it was so painful and i was scarred for life i still hate going to the dentist today just because i am scared that they are going to hurt me well, that's unfortunate. Hopefully, I can change that for you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Once I become a dentist. <laughs> oh, thanks. Um, yeah, so you decide to be a dentist, like, right after, not right after, but, like, soon after you get diagnosed with ADHD, and you're like, I'm going to overcome any challenge that comes my way, and I'm going to achieve this goal well, as, like, a 13-year-old. Well, and it wasn't really, it's funny when I was that age, I didn't think about it like that. It's funny now thinking about it like that. But yeah. when I was when I was in when I was in those shoes, you know, as an eighth grader, you know, I didn't really think about it from an adversity standpoint. You know, mm. I didn't. I guess I didn't really understand the stereotypes or much of it. You know, and so. You know, I didn't look at it as adversity, and I don't think it it didn't really affect me until I was in college, and I really had to overcome certain types of adversity. Okay, but we'll we'll touch on that more. Yeah, a let's bit, let's a touch bit. on that a little bit because you got some you got some cool facts about you before <laughs> you get to college. Exactly. Yeah. So so yeah, in eighth grade, I decided I want to become a dentist. Then I moved on to high school, mm -hmm. and. Uh, so in my high school uh, at the time, we were like kind of split. Our classes were kind of split into two groups. And as mean teenagers are in high school, you know, it was always a joke that like one group was the smarter group and one group was the dumber group. Because coincidentally, the <laughs> quote unquote smarter group had a lot of the better achieving students in the class. Yeah. If you will. <laughs> and so, um, you know, but I had a lot of really awesome opportunities um, in high school. I had really great uh, educators teaching me, um, you know, one who came to mind who really had an impact on my life, uh, who when I had her as a as a student, she was Mrs. Thompson and then she got married uh, and she became Mrs. Moreno. Um, and she unfortunately passed away from a, a terrible winter car accident oh i'm sorry um, to hear that yeah but but she really touched so many lives she was a teacher who she taught english at our school and and she was a teacher who loved genuinely loved teaching she wanted to see that light bulb go on in the students like that was like what she you know st she strived to be a fun educator and she really accomplished it you know i remember you know watching educational videos in class or you know 
talking through some Shakespeare plays. Like we would go over, we would read plays out loud. We'd get in a circle, you know, and each person would pick a different part in the play and we'd read through it, you know, and, you know, so we'd, you know, really got a lot of depth in literature, you know, in my high school career. Uh, and then when I started thinking about college and, uh, you know, wanting to pursue my dreams of becoming a dentist, um, you know, I decided I understood that I needed to go into the science classes. I need to really hit the STEM fields hard. And so in my senior year, I decided to take AP chemistry. Uh, and that was with Dr. Matthew Kennedy. And he did, I mean, he did a phenomenal job. I mean, no one can teach entropy and enthalpy like Dr. Kennedy can. <laughs> Dude, I don't even know what the hell words you just said to me right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Google them. Google them. You'll learn something new. Oh, I will learn something new. <laughs> awesome. I'll forget it five minutes after I read it. That's okay. <laughs> you probably won't have to use it in your career. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So so that was my senior year of high school, and then uh, you know, as a Jewish student, you know, a lot of my friends were going on to do a gap year after high school. And, you know, what they were doing is, is most of them were going for a year and living in Israel. Um, if you're not wow. familiar where that is, it's in the Middle East. It's a hot spot of a lot of conflict right now. Yeah, it has, it has been. been for a long time. <laughs> for um, all of eternity, really. So, so hold on. Let me get this straight. People that you know are growing up, as everyone does, and they're like... You know what? Right after school, right after college, or sorry, right after high school, I'm just gonna go move across the world, like seven hour difference, and just uh, you know live there for a year. No, no one, no nothing. Uh, just know the language and the religion, and like that's about it. Sorta. So <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah. So. Uh, I mean, growing up, at, well, and for me, going to a Jewish school, uh, I had the opportunity to learn Hebrew as my second language. Because most, every school, you have to learn a second language. Most schools, it's Spanish, um, you know, or French or German or whatever. A lot of times they get to choose, but we had no choice. We had to learn Hebrew. Um, that was our second language. And so I grew up learning the language, and then... When I decided that I wanted to take this gap year and live in Israel, there are programs called uh, either yeshivas or seminaries, or there are some programs that are run through universities or colleges, um, you know, where they're basically, you're based in a central location, you have a dorm, you know, you spend, you know, 10 hours a day studying Jewish texts and whatnot, um, you know, take trips every now and again, and, you know, I'll kind of tell my view on that because that's what i did and so you know i got to spend it, it was 10 months in israel so are these uh like dorm mates all are, are they from just america or are they yeah, from so, all over the world so it's the the program that i was so i went to a program called derech which was inside of an institution called or Sameach. and or Sameach is a larger uh institution kind of like you know you could equate it to you know, like a, a university of sorts, okay. you know, for Jewish studies, um, you know, where there were students from all over the world who were coming here to learn Jewish texts, you know, the Bible, 
you know, in different commentaries on the Bible and stuff like that. And, um, you know, all the, um, you know, different traditions and stuff. And so, but yeah, the, the program that I was a part of is American program and all the, uh, most of the kids were from America. There were a couple from the UK. Uh, we did have a couple kids from London, one kid from Austria. Um, and yeah, some Canadians, some Canadians as well. That's pretty cool. So you made a lot of friends? Yeah, I made tons of friends. I have friends. <laughs> you got friends funny. all over. Again, I, I have a friend who's a doctor in Vienna, Austria. Uh, wow, I, have a, uh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And through, you know, we met, he, he was actually one of my roommates. Um, That's pretty cool. Yeah. And then he decided to become a doctor. And it's funny because in Austria, there's no like undergraduate program. Like you go to high school and then you go to professional school. Like you decide what you want to become and you don't have to go through the hoops of the American education system. Like we have to. Oh, wow. <laughs> I bet it's a ton cheaper too. Probably. I don't I, I, <laughs> I don't know how much his tuition was, but it was probably a lot cheaper than mine is. I wonder what it's like not having to take gen ed classes that you're never going to use again. Must be nice. Must be nice. I don't think I'll ever get to know that. <laughs> So yeah, you uh, you graduate high school, you move to Israel yep. soon after, and you're there for ten months. Yep. And when you this was 2012, 2013. Yep. So I graduated high school in the summer of 2012, just before summer, and then at the end of the summer, I went to Israel and started my ten months, and I got back in the following June. Wow. Okay. Uh, so real quick, my side of this, uh, <laughs> Gary and I have been best friends, even as cousins, and I was so sad to see him leave, but it is so cool that he's back. I mean, this is 10 years later, but like he came back and he had all these sweet stories to talk about. So I really want to dive into like the things that you experienced over there in Israel and real quick, this is not the like famed thing that Jewish people do is the birthright. This is not Correct. that. Okay. It is not birthright. So birthright is, it's an organization. They run trips for more college age students uh, to go to Israel. It's usually about one or two week long trip. They take you, you know, you hop on a bus, they take you to the Western wall, you know, all the hot spots in Israel, you know, they take you to really all the like Jewish touristy places and, you know, then that's kind of it. You know, it's just a quick trip, you know, really in and out. They spend, I think, a weekend in Jerusalem and that's it. I lived in Jerusalem. Like, I was based out of Jerusalem. I was a 30-minute uh, walk from the Western Wall and a 30-minute walk from, like, the kind of downtown party center, you know, all the bars and restaurants and stuff. Okay. Um, but, yeah, I'll talk more about that here. Yeah, so like dive into it. You got there uh, fresh out of the airplane. You're like, sweet, I'm in Israel. Like, what's the experience like? Like, is it hot? Is it is dry? Like, you're in the Middle East. Like, what's what's going on? So it was a complete shit. I mean, we're talking like I. It was a 13 hour plane ride to get to get there. Whew, I and... barely survived three hour plane rides. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And uh, the, the entire plane ride, so we took off. It was like an evening flight. And then, you know, halfway through, because we're traveling east, you know, halfway through it got sunlight kind of like at like whatever, 2 or 3 a.m. our time. Like 
the American time or whatever yeah. when we left because we were traveling kind of against the sun. And um, and so I got to see like all the mountain ranges and really cool things. Like I didn't even know where we were in the air, but we saw, I saw tons of cool stuff on the way. And then when we landed, you know, it's in only people who go to Israel or people who have heard about people going to Israel know this, but when the, like when the plane lands in Israel, it's like a very emotional experience. Like everyone claps, some people cry. Like it's a very emotional experience because you're being reunited with your ancestral homeland. Okay. That's, that's actually kind of a cool fact because like here in America, people clap when the plane lands and I'm like, (laughs) why are you doing that? (laughs) This is like the holy land that you're getting to. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And so, so yeah, so we landed there and, you know, we get our bags and stuff, go through customs. It's like my first time traveling internationally. So I'd never had to go through customs or anything before. And so I'm kind of going through all this by myself. You know, luckily I I did take the group flight. So they had the program had a group flight that we could have taken and we took that from JFK. So I had to flew over to New York. And then hop on the plane in JFK from New York to go to Israel. I mean, so you, you got 13 hours of your normal sleep time to get to know these people that you're with and trust them to help you navigate Israel when you get there. Exactly. <laughs> it was my first time in a brand new country. Never left America. <laughs> Never left America. Brand new country. Traveling alone. Like yeah. That's a big step, especially right after high school, I yeah. think. It, it was it was a big culture shock and it was, you know, but I think it really helped shape who I am as a person today. I think, you know, it really helped me be able to adapt and overcome. You know, I got really homesick right off the bat. Um, you know, I was in a strange place. You know, I'd never been there before. A new country, you know, a new currency, new everything. You know, street signs look different. You know, everything. You yeah. Know, pe- you know, not many people speak English in in israel you know the, the native language is hebrew you know granted there are a lot of americans there so there are some who speak english luckily you know but i did have that experience learning hebrew growing up so i was really able to use that that's awesome so you go there and you're studying what'd you study yeah so we studied uh you know bible texts a lot of um of the the talmud um is one of the texts that we did a lot of learning What's, what's the Talmud? So the Talmud is a, it's kind of like a, so in Judaism, so there is the written, the written law or the written Bible, and then there's like the oral Torah or the oral Bible, and that was transmitted down from Moses, you know, at Mount Sinai to, you know, and he, I guess, you know, taught it to, you know, the traditions you know and the or the his um i guess disciples yeah um and so he taught them you know the word of god basically you know like the laws that it's yeah. like it's kind of like a commentary on it's like certain i guess ways to observe the laws that are not in the written bible you know like you you know the old testament is the you know the written bible and you know then there's also like the talmud and the mishnah and 
you know, those are part of the oral tradition. Okay. Is what it's called. So you're studying that. You're studying what else? We're studying, you know, Jewish law. We were studying, um, you know, the Bible and learning, you know, a lot of the stories in the Bible. And, you know, we had studied some of that throughout my elementary school, middle school, high school, because I went to a private Jewish school. Right. Um, you know, I did learn a lot of that. So some of it was review, but, you know, it's, you know, we were able to kind of learn a lot more about what it means to be Jewish and what it really means to be a Jew and how to live life as a Jew. Okay. Because it's hard. Life, in, especially in America, is hard as a Jew. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't doubt it. Um, I know that there's like there's been a lot of hate forever uh, against Jews and it sucks that it still happens today. Yeah. And it's not just Jews. It's there's a lot of different types of people out there that get a ton of hate. And that's one thing that I want to try to like talk to people about and like get their perspective on how they have lived with these. I don't know discrimination against them or something like whatever you know but yeah that's that's cool that you're experiencing israel and just engulfing yourself and learning deeply about judaism that's pretty cool yeah it it was really awesome and i had a really great time so while i so we weren't just studying all the time you know so you got to go out and have some fun of course so uh one of the things that we did uh that a lot of people know, well, in Israel, the drinking age is 18. So, Uh-oh. and I had just turned 18 that summer before going there. So, I kind of learned how to handle my alcohol before, you know, a lot of college students were because <laughs> I was of age <laughs> right. over there. You know, I, I would, you know, we would go to, the, I would go to the liquor store with my friends on a Thursday or a Friday, you know, and we would go pick up liquor you know didn't have to have a fake id or anything because <laughs> we were of age we yeah. just bring our passport and that's all that you needed so there's there's a little bit of partying going on but there's yeah. there's shabbos on friday and saturday yeah so the sabbath starts friday at sundown and it goes for about 25 hours uh, until sundown saturday night and so you know for that you know we didn't have any electronics no phone no wallet no money you know, really know, you know, the whole, you know, we prayed, we ate, we sang, we danced, you know, Shabbat is a day of rest. Yeah. So was, so with that in mind, was your, your typical like class schedule was not Monday to Friday with seven to three or whatever. Like it was, it was a little different. So it was actually, we started Sunday. So in Israel, Sunday starts the week. Okay. And um but we usually had Friday off. Okay. So so it's we had sun Sunday we went to class. So it was Sunday through Thursday. Yeah. And then Friday we had off and obviously Saturday for the Sabbath we had off. And so kind of that was our weekend was Friday Saturday. And that's the way it is in Israel is they don't have Saturday Sunday. They have Friday Saturday. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It's cool to learn that you know not everyone is monday to friday nine to five uh, et cetera, et cetera. right exactly so what what kind of like cool things did you go do besides you know you drank you were able to drink at 18 but like that's not Israel, the only thing i did right <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to get to the yeah. the cool things the experiences that you had of like 
you're in a new country and Israel is probably not a place that a lot of people get to go to. Yeah. So what kind of sites did you see? What kind of exploration did you do? So, so we did, we had took a different trip like every month and we were traveling. We got to hike all throughout the North of the country. So, you know, Israel is a, you know, biblical land and it's home to a lot of landmarks for the three major religions in the world. Uh, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. And, um, you know, so it is, you know, there's so much to see. There's so much to do there. It's crazy to think that a land that was, you know, really established in 1948, you know, what, 70, 70 some years ago, is thriving. There are skyscrapers, you know, there's an infrastructure. They have, you know, technology like cell phones were you know, actually invented in Israel. Motorola. Cell phones, cell phones were invented in Israel? Motorola started in Israel. You mean Apple didn't invent the first cell phone? <laughs> <laughs> no, unfortunately. <laughs> Apple did not invent the first jokes, cell phone. <laughs> jokes, I know, I know. But yeah, it's cool to learn like those little tidbits. Like there, I've done some research myself on Israel just out of curiosity, right? Yeah. And it's it's very cool seeing what like Israel does and all the research and the fun things that they impact the whole world with. Yeah, I mean it's known as the startup nation. You yeah, know? and it, it's crazy to think how many you know startups there are there and how much is going on, how much uh, 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 innovation is happening in Israel. And uh, but yeah, when I was there, I got to I got to see everything and like you know I want to explain it. So you guys can all get a picture like, you know, we would go on hikes where there would be a river leading to a waterfall and this waterfall would be like a, you know, 50 or 60 foot high waterfall, you know, in the middle of a desert. In the middle of a desert. In the middle of a desert. There's sand everywhere. It's the Middle East. It's yeah. a desert. And there, but is, there is a thriving wildlife wa waterfalls. I mean, yes, the country has, you know, water a water shortage yeah know, but there are really cool like sites to see like that yeah so giant waterfall in the middle of the desert yeah. uh where that was else? in the north of the country in the north okay yeah and we went uh we hiked in the desert uh in the judean desert which is near the dead sea uh and so that's it's the lowest point on earth in the dead sea and we went hiking in the judean desert which is kind of the desert beside it and so we actually, fun story, we got lost. We had our tour guide. And in Israel, the way the national trail system works is there are like markings on rocks kind of as you go, you know, every mm -hmm. so feet, every so many feet, there's a marking on a rock with a direction or whatever. Somehow we lost track of them and we got off the, off the path and we got lost in the middle of the desert. I mean, we got up on a dune on the top of a dune and all you could see for miles and miles was desert. We didn't wow. know where the path to get back was. We didn't know where the the road is. We didn't know where we could see kind of on one side where the Dead Sea was. Because there's like when you're in the middle of the Judean desert. So there's like mountains on one side and then there's the Dead Sea on the other side. So we kind of knew kind of somewhat direction. But again, we were kind of two or three hours out in the middle. And we had lost the wow this path. So then, you know, probably about 
I want to say it took us about another two or three hours before we finally like kind of found like a drop off. It was like a sand dune with a bunch of salt. It was like a bunch of salt uh, uh, stalactites or stalagmite, whatever points up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the bad ones. That... <laughs> and somehow, you know, we someone put down something like a, a I don't know why, that, but I think they had a sweatshirt or something. And they, were, you know, slid down it and like found that that was where the road was. And then we finally walked back to where the bus was and found our way. Wow. How, how long yeah, we were, were you guys lost? We were kind of wandering in the desert for a total of about six and a half hours. Six and a half hours you lost in the desert? Luckily, we had enough water. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Oh, my God. I would have been freaking out. I kind of was at first, but then I was like, you know, well, also, another funny thing was we had cell phone service. So if we needed a rescue, we could have called in a rescue. That's like another crazy thing about Israel is no matter where you go, you're going to have cell phone service in that country. Wow. Like we're in crazy. the middle of the desert with full bars of cell phone service. That's crazy. Like was, I've I've been in the desert out west and it's like you take two steps in and there's no service. Yeah, like, like there's a sign that says no cell phone service beyond this point. In yeah. Israel those signs don't exist. Yeah, they don't know <laughs> what those signs are. Right. <laughs> so yeah, so we went so we did hikes like that. Oh, um, real quick, I want to ask, did you go in the Dead Sea? Oh, or, of course. Is that the one that's like it's so salty you float? Yes, like, sir. It's approximately it's approximately I believe thirty percent salt or something. The all the oceans in the rest of the world I believe are around point three percent or three percent. I can't remember which one it is. Okay, but the Dead Sea is around thirty three percent salt content, and so yeah, it is true you can float on water. Yeah, that you is just lay wild. flat like and and but also like the salt water is it's like almost like an oily consistency Ooh. it's like a thick kind of kind of like an oily consistency and but like people would get some of the salt and it like put it into their empty water bottles and like bring the salt back with them or like some of the with salt with the salt water because it has good properties for skin you know you can okay okay yeah, yeah. a lot of i mean salt is good for a lot of things that's wild. Yeah, so you swam in the Dead Sea. So yeah, we you got that. lost in the desert. You saw the mountains there. We Yeah, we did that. And then another, we went on one hike in the north um, that has a really cool story behind it. Um, so in the, in the mid-1900s, you know, after Israel was established, uh, there was this uh, Israeli spy by the name of Eli Cohen. And he... Uh, you know, worked for the Mossad, which is the Israeli CIA, the, the Israeli intelligence agency. And he worked his way up in the Syrian government and he kind of like became really close with the whatever the the president or or the dictator of Syria or whoever yeah, it was. The leader. What the whoever the leader was, I guess. Um and he he like would throw these lavish parties for all these diplomats and get them drunk and then get them to spill secrets. They thought he was family. You know, they thought he was one of them. And, but he worked his way up in this, you know, in the Syrian government and he convinced them that, so Syria had a bunch of in the Golan Heights, you know, which was, um, it had kind of changed hands a couple times. Okay. And so it was 
at the time under Syrian control. And Syria had a bunch of bunkers throughout the Golan, Hi- Golan Heights, like underground bunkers. Mm-hmm. But they had like little lookouts in them. And so Ellie, he convinced them to plant trees by the bunkers to shade the soldiers because they were getting hot. You're in the desert. What a genius. And lo and behold, Israel bombed every single tree because that's where the bunkers were. <laughs> I mean, genius in like war tactics, I guess. I don't know about just like killing people. Well, but... yeah, no. But that and that was that was how Israel won the six day war and was able to co- capture the Golan Heights in two days. Isn't there a, a Netflix doc on this? Oh, yeah. It's called The Spy. I forgot oh, about that. It's called The Spy. It's yeah. called The Spy. Okay. It's on Netflix. Um, really awesome show, by the way. Yeah. Um, highly recommend to anyone to go watch. Okay, cool. But yeah. yeah, so it was so it was this hike that we had went on, we saw these broken down, bombed bunkers. It was a bunch of destroyed bunkers, you know, hiking throughout the north in the in the Golan Heights. Oh, so they like Israel like left them, preserved them, and made sure that you can still go and see them and yep. They're learn part the, of the history. Trail. Part of That's that trail. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, what is that like the main thing on the hike, or is there other things to like go and see? Uh, I mean, there was, I mean, throughout the north of the country, there's tons of plants and foliage, and again, more waterfalls, more, you know, river banks, and, you know, just really, you know, lots of nature. You don't experience that kind of nature in the Midwest in the u.s no (laughs) you know like i i didn't know that like beautiful mountain ranges and stuff like this really existed anywhere yeah so i mean this this is all a new experience for you because you've only lived in ohio and you know being young up until you left and you visited like what new york city a few times yeah i've been to new york like florida a few times but that's really the main travel that you did right I mean, I mean, yeah, it was like my grandparents in New York. I had grandparents in Florida. And really, that was it. Yeah, so this is all like a major culture shock for you. Yeah, it was it was insane. I mean, just I, I, I was homesick for like the first two months. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'll be honest. Like, it was hard adjusting. Oh, yeah. I remember getting a phone call from you and you were like, I hate it here. Like, I'm so sad. I miss my parents. I miss my brother. My sister, like, I miss you. I want to come home. Like, I really yeah. wanted to come home <laughs> yeah. for some reason. But I'll tell you what, around the Jewish holiday of Hanukkah, um, you know, where people light the candles for the menorah and, you know, it's a really, you know, a time to come together. It's in the winter. And, you know, uh, that was kind of when things changed. You know, I started loving being there. I started really taking in and appreciating what I was experiencing. Um, You know, we had, um, you know, when I was there, uh, I had to run for my life to a bomb shelter multiple times. Um, You know, there were rockets being fired over from Gaza. There were actually some, I believe there were some rockets that had made their way over from Lebanon um at the time but it was the first time that the bomb the uh, air raid sirens had gone off in jerusalem since i believe like late 90s yeah like this was this was actually a major conflict that you kind of you survived yeah thank god 
Yeah, I remember watching the news uh, and seeing this, like, you know, primetime news and seeing this, like, on the local news here, not just, like, the national news. And I was like, oh, my God, like, I may lose one of my best friends. I was freaking out. But, like, what what was that like like hearing were you like dead asleep and you hear the sirens and you have to like run for your life like what's what's going on so so none of the times that the sirens were went off were at night for me so there were i if i remember correctly there were three times that the air raid sirens went off when i was there and in jerusalem so you know the the cities like Sderot and Ashdod and the cities closer to the Gaza Strip were getting rockets rained on them like hail, you know, like 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 literal snow. Like Jeez. it was literally raining rockets on oh, them, man. you know, and there were a couple rockets that made their way, you know, over into Jerusalem, which was probably about 60 miles linearly from the Gaza Strip, something like that. Um, and so. Um, but yeah, one of the times it was Friday night, we were getting ready for the Sabbath and, um, all of a sudden, like I was, I literally had just gotten out of the shower and the bomb, sh- the siren went off. I'm like, Oh, guess I got to run to the bomb shelter. Wow. Yeah, and ran like downstairs. Do, so do they prep you for that? Like when you get to the school or they like, Hey, like, you know, bomb sirens are a thing over here. Like, here's the training that you need, or you just kind of like. I don't really. I mean, I remember that they had mentioned to us where the bomb shelter was, um, but I don't think, like, no one was planning on a conflict like this happening. You know, this was, again, uh, it was the first time in maybe 20 years that the bomb, the, the air raid sirens had gone off in Jerusalem. Yeah. And so they weren't really prepared for it. But it, anyways, it happened, and it, one of the times I was playing – it's funny because where I was living, uh, where our institution was, uh, it was kind of like a, adjacent or across the street from the neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah, which actually kind of became pretty popular in the news not too long ago in the most recent conflict. Um, but – so, yeah, I was right across the street from there. So we had, like, for example, uh, one of the – it rarely ever snows in Jerusalem or in Israel. And when I was there during the winter, there was one day where it just started coming down and it was just snowing so much. And, and you know, we, our, our Arab friends across the street, and we were kind of like, let's have a big snowball fight. And we all got <laughs> together and had a snowball fight. Unfortunately, someone had to throw a rock and ruin it. But, you know, there was a moment in time where, we felt like, you know, I at least I felt like there was hope for peace. And th- there still is. I still believe that there's hope for lasting peace in that region. I just think it's going to take some time. Yeah. But, I mean, it was just such a cool experience. Like, you know, our, you know, people we didn't interact with really ever. But then from that point on, like, um, over across in Sheikh Jarrah, there's a really nice, like, soccer court and basketball court. And and uh, on some evenings, we would me and a couple friends would go over there with a basketball and we'd play and we'd make some friends with some Arab kids that were kind of our age or in high school. And we'd kind of play some basketball with each other. And we made some friends over there, which was really kind of cool. You don't really hear about that in the news. No, you don't. And like that's that's kind of what a really interesting thing that I want to appreciate really quick is that you're 
like 18, 19 years old and you kind of understand what's going on, but like not at the crazy political level, I'm assuming. And you're just like, I don't care what God this other kid worships. Like, I just want to have a snowball fight with him. I want to play basketball with him. Like, I just want to make friends. Well, it's the same God. <laughs> well, yeah. I, <laughs> but yeah. But yeah, they're different I don't ideologies. Know, I don't know ideologies. a whole lot about religions. So, yeah. I, yeah. yeah. It's different ideologies. And, you know, the, obviously, you know, there's such a conflict. Yeah. You know, it's just it's through through all of time. You know, Jews and Arabs just don't really get together or yeah. get, get along. Right. And, and to have, you know, a moment where, you know, we got along, you know, and we kind of created, a, you know, somewhat of a peaceful relationship with them kind of really gives me hope that that someday we'll see long lasting peace in that region. And, you know, I mean, that was one of the scariest things in my life, having to run for my life to a bomb shelter. We had 90 seconds. 90 seconds. 90 seconds. The second that siren seconds. goes off, 90 seconds. Wow. You start that... counting in your head. <laughs> oh, my God. You're like, all right, like, there's the alarm. Boom, one second, and then you're just counting, and you're trying you to run, like, run one, to that shelter. Two, three. You're just running, and you're counting in your head as you're, as you're running. I mean, it's just kind of like a subconscious thing, I guess. And you're like, I really hope I get to the shelter before I hit 90, and, like, something catastrophic happens. Luckily, because of the innovation of the Iron Dome, most of the rockets that are now uh, 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 targeting civilian population centers are being uh, uh, intercepted by the Iron Dome. That's awesome. So, and, you know, there's some news hot topics going on about that right now. But, yeah, the Iron Dome is a really cool the technology is just is 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 blows my mind it it senses a rocket being fired in enemy territory then it calculates the trajectory of that rocket determines if it's a populated area and if it is a populated area shoots a $50,000 rocket to go intercept that rocket but if it's not headed for a populated area it lets it go and get the field. Wow. That's wild. That saves 50 grand. <laughs> um, so that that's one of the like, that's probably one of the only places that that really exists because there's such high conflict over there. Like, is there, do you know of any other place in the world that has that? Nope. If anyone like knows, please let me know. Please I'm let very, us know. <laughs> I'm interested that that's wild. And it's, it's wild as like that's awesome technology and it's like to me that's also sad that it has to exist. Yeah. Um but it saves yeah. thousands of lives. Yeah, that's day. great. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh so like what else what else happened in Israel? Did you do anything like else that's exciting or we went to we went to a couple different like museums. So in it, you know, because there's so much history in Israel, there are different museums. One of the museums is like the Holocaust Memorial Museum, and it's very emotional. That sounds like it is like one of the most intense places to go. Like I, I talked about um, in the previous episode, one of my buddy who was here, he went to the concentration camps. Oh, so wow. 
Yeah. And so like, I think right next to that, like on the emotional intensity level would be the Holocaust Memorial in Israel. What is that like? It's crazy. So you get in there. So it's called Yad Vashem. If anyone wants to look it up, you go there and you start kind of like at the beginning and you go through and it takes you through what they went through. You know, it's it's different from the one in D.C. If anyone's been to the one in D.C. where it feels like you're in the concentration camps, the one in D.C., this is different. It's you feel like you're in a museum, but you have so many so many artifacts and so many things from the Holocaust. You know, like, for example, you know, a bin of shoes, you know, or, you know, just different things to you know, experience what really happened. And it's sad. It's really sad. Wow. So, but yeah, I mean, there are tons of museums. One of the coolest experiences I had was at the Blind Museum. The Blind Museum? The Blind Museum. Is that like blinds in your house or like blind people? Blind people. So um, it was, I don't know really who developed it, but the concept, what, what it is, is you go in there and your tour guide is blind. But once you go in, like after you, like obviously you get into the entrance and you can still see, but then you enter the darkness and everything is pitch black. Like you are literally blind. Wow. It is like you, you cannot see the person next to you. That's how dark it is in there. So how do and you, how do you maneuver? So you have your blind tour guide and they have it set up like, they have like one area is a bar and you walk into the bar and everyone sits at the bar and you order a drink. You don't have to, but you can. So we ordered drinks and you know, the, there was a blind bartender and they were able to tell what dollar bill, like what bill you gave them based on how it feels or, you know, there are different ways to tell, you know, the type of currency or whatever. Right. And they were able to determine that. Like, I couldn't remember what I was pulling out of my wallet. I mean, he could have said it was a, a $1 bill and it was a $100 bill. I could, I wouldn't have known the difference <laughs> until I got out. But, <laughs> but yeah, so we went through, you know, there's a bunch of different exhibits that, again, the entire time you're walking through this place for, you know, it was probably two or three hours, it's pitch black. You can't, you can't see your hand. But you could put your hand like literally an inch away from your eye and not be able to see your hand. So what like what's the experience like you're just trying to experience the other senses? Yeah. So we're you know, we're using our ears and our sense of touch. And, you know, one of the one of the parts is crossing a busy street like they have it set up. You know, there are cars they have set up or whatever and they have, you know, noises coming from them or whatever. And so that you can kind of you know, really feel what it's like. One of the parts is like, was like a little jungle kind of like a little, they had, you know, trees and, and a river that you had to cross. And wow. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was such a cool experience. Is there other museums like this that take away your sense of other things? I mean, it, I guess it would be hard to take away like sense of touch and smell. I don't know, but I would love to experience something like that again. Yeah. It was such a cool experience because we were, you know, it'll, it also helped us like gain confidence and communicate with each other because, you know, we're all going through it at the same time. Yeah. So we're all helping each other navigate 
you know these exhibits blind and that it was just a really so cool, cool experience that sounds so cool it, it was really awesome yeah so you got all those cool experiences was there anything else that you wanted to note about israel and living there i think that's all the really all the notable things that happened when i was there okay it was just i mean i loved just everything i mean going to the beach like another cool thing about it is like where I, i was based in jerusalem it has a higher elevation than in Tel Aviv, for example, where the coast is. Yeah. And so in Tel, you know, in the winter, for example, when it's like, you know, 40 or 50 degrees in Jerusalem, it's like 70 or 80 degrees in Tel Aviv. And Tel Aviv's only 45 minutes away. <laughs> so that you'd be wearing wild. your winter coat in Jerusalem, and then you'd take a 45-minute bus ride to Tel Aviv and put on your snow your uh, your uh, your swim trunks and go surfing. <laughs> Did you get to go surfing down there? I did not. I have never been surfing. <laughs> okay. That would have been pretty cool. But <laughs> that would have been cool. So you uh, you come back from Israel, you survive, yeah. and uh, you were off to college, and you mentioned earlier that uh, you had a little bit of like difficulty overcoming like ADHD in college. Yeah, so, so I went to college at, here at the Ohio State University. The Ohio State the University? Ohio State University. <laughs> that was annoying and i know it <laughs> yeah so 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 i started undergrad and you know again i knew i wanted to become a dentist so i picked my major as biology as you know every pre-dental or pre-med student does and went through the motions went through the classes um you know luckily because i took ap chemistry in high school i was kind of like one leg up where i had an advantage in gen chem when I took general chemistry here, you know, I had all that knowledge from taking AP chemistry that really prepared me to do well in college chemistry. That's awesome. And, you know, luckily, luckily I had a really cool professor. He, he used a reverse classroom teaching style and he's actually won like Apple educator of the, of the year awards and all kinds of cool awards. Really? Um, his name is Dr. Matt Stoltzfus or Dr. Foos. That's what he has. People call him Dr. Foos. He's really such a cool guy. And what, um, so real quick, what's the reverse classroom style? What is that? So the reverse classroom style is so inherently lecture, traditional lecture styles interact with your brain the same way as watching cartoons on TV. Really? Your level of engagement is next to none. True. That's the problem with the tra- with traditional lecture styles. But the reverse classroom, what it does is it has you watch like a short lecture video the night before class and then you go on and answer a few practice questions like for example in chemistry there are a lot of um you know a lot of math problems or a lot of equations that you have to balance or you know do different things with and so he would basically teach you all the content as homework before you got to class so that when you're in class, you're 100% engaged. And his in-class classroom style, so again, it's a lecture hall with a 1,000 kids, giant lecture hall, is so he, I forget what the name of the technology he used was, but he would have these practice problems because in chemistry, there's all, the only way to learn chemistry is by doing practice, practice problems. So he would 
prepare these practice problems for class and they were the very complex problems and so he would have us solve them on our own and then he would have us input our answer on our mobile device and then he would see if the class as a whole got it right or wrong or whatever regardless he would have us interact with our classmates that were sitting near us with the way the 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 software worked is it matched us with the students that were sitting next to us like it knew where we were sitting oh interesting and like we put in our seat like when we got to class into the program and so it matched us with the kids that we were sitting next with like you know two or three kids and so we would get to interact with each other discuss our answers see if we got different answers we can explain how we did it to each other and then he would go over the actual real answer and solution and how to do the problem. So he engaged us 100% when we were in class. And it was at that point when I discovered really how to learn. Interesting. Yeah, there's there's all kinds of crazy concepts out there about like how to learn and it's awesome that this this method really helped you. It really did. And it it propelled me to achieving my goal of, you know, becoming a dentist. You know, obviously I haven't reached that goal yet, but I'm currently in dental school, Um, you know, and but that, you know, being in my first year of undergrad and really learning how to learn set me up for success in undergrad. Mm -hmm. And and, you know, because up until that point, I had really struggled, you know, my medication for ADHD that I've been taking for the past the previous five years, you know, since eighth grade, for some reason just stopped working. You know, and so I had to get that adjusted and it just it was hard. You know, I was going through a lot of changes. Yeah. And it almost it almost felt like I was going through like a second puberty. Wow. <laughs> Man, puberty one was enough. <laughs> yeah, it was it was weird. It was weird. Um, you know, I had to relearn my brain. Yeah. And, you know, so this class with Dr. Foose really helped me, you know, accomplish that. And then I went on that following summer and I took like a condensed summer organic chemistry class at Capital University. Um, so that I was able to actually get hired on the next the next year as a TA teaching chemistry labs at Ohio State. Oh, nice. Okay. And so I spent my last two years in undergrad actually teaching uh, a chemistry lab, and that was such a cool experience. So you're like a chemistry nerd. I do love my chemistry. <laughs> but your your major was biology, unfortunately. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. So you went and um, did biology undergrad and you're really good at chemistry. Uh, I remember you were, <laughs> you were really good at calculus too. Um, so what, is there any other like major significant impacts of undergrad that, uh, that you had or? I don't think so. I mean, I, you know, because I kind of knew my career path, mm-hmm. I was just focused on crushing my classes and achieving my goals, you know. And so, you know, I was just going through my classes. You know, I, I joined a fraternity, you know, and so I did get to experience, you know, a lot of different student organizations. I was a part of uh, Buckeyes for Israel, which is a student organization um, for pro-Israel students. Okay. And so I got to do a little bit of, you know, Israel advocacy on campus. And for those of you who don't know, college campuses are like hot spots for anti-Israel propaganda 
and anti-Semitism. Really? Yeah. There are a couple a couple student organizations, I'm not going to get into it, that plan, you know, these events that like to claim that Israel is an apartheid state or that Israel is committing genocide, but it's all false. It's all false claims and nonsense. We won't oh, get into it. I that just like hurts because I I just don't believe that there should be the hate groups out there. I don't know if you can really call them hate groups, but I guess it's your own opinion on what a hate group is. But I just think it's crazy to be out there spreading hate about someone someone else that you don't really know. I Um, agree. I think everyone should just focus on themselves and focus on living their life as they are. Don't worry about anyone else. Don't worry about, you know, just live your life. That's good advice. That's good advice. Um. So real quick, you touched on fraternity life. Um, I had my previous guest was uh, my own fraternity brother. But what's cool about the fraternity that you were able to join is uh, you were a legacy member from our grandfather. Yeah. So our grandfather, uh, he was actually a, a member of my fraternity. And so he had told me, you know, stories from college you know, going through what he went through at, you know, in a fraternity. And it was so different from what, you know, what I went through and the fraternity that I joined, you know, because in 1989, ZBT abolished hazing. And so, and ZBT, that's the fraternity that I was in. And um, it was originally founded as a Zionist men's organization for Jewish men who were not allowed in traditional Greek fraternities. Yeah. Wow. You heard that right. <laughs> Jews were not allowed in for, you know, the fraternities were for white men, you know, white Christian men or, you know. Right. You know, we're, you know, Jews and, you know, blacks and other people alike were discriminated against. You know, obviously, you know, there were specific black fraternities. You know, so obviously there's, you know, this uh, Jewish fraternity that was originally formed as like a Zionist men's organization and then you know became a uh, a fraternity and it was founded on it's a hebrew phrase Sion what's so, that mean so that means zion will be redeemed with pure judgment and so it means it what it means is that you know when zionism started in the late 1800s was a organization that was started by Theodore Herzl and it was to get Jews to reunite with their ancestral homeland of Israel. You know, Jews have a biblical historical claim to the land. And so, you know, in the 1800s, Theodore Herzl came about and he was like, this is bullshit. We need our land back. And so he, you know, started, you know, getting, people to understand that you know jews should have a right to self-determination in their own ancestral homeland Mm. and so that really is what zionism is and so i really embodied those values of the fraternity zbt and its original founding principles and the fact that our grandfather was a legacy it really made me want to become a member and to continue that legacy and so i did 
you know, and I had a, a, you know, again, another life changing experience in college. I got to, you know, volunteer at Habitat for Humanity and I got to, you know, interact with other, you know, student organizations. And we had, you know, tons of cool parties. The different parties had themes. <laughs> you know, we had date parties. We had, you know, we, yeah, we obviously drank. We were a fraternity. But, <laughs> you know, but it was a lot more than that. We did community service and it was a really good time. It really helped shape who I am as a young adult male. That's, that's, a, that's awesome. I think that's a, that's a pretty cool take, especially like, being at a huge school, I, I talk about this in the last episode again, is that, you know, you always hear about the bad reps that fraternities get. And yes, like you can uh, just look at the news about Greek life on any large campus, but it's good to hear that you're out there volunteering and doing community service. There's a lot of bad that's out there against Greek life, but it's good to hear that you did good. Yeah. And like it not only that, but it had a nice impact on you and shaping the way that you are the you, the person that you've grown to be. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, and we had like, for example, like we had uh, uh, study tables, which is, you know, where we had a required number of hours per week we had to study under supervision. Like, it oh, was, wow. you know, it was one of the members of eboard was sit in the basement or would rent a uh, a study room in the library or one of the libraries and we would go sit with them for an hour or two hours we'd sign up for a spot or whatever and you know we'd go and do our schoolwork then you just know, to so. just to prove that you're doing it exactly like, yeah i mean we I, had we had academic standards we had different standards of excellence that we had to adhere to yeah because you um if i remember correctly you have to like maintain a certain gpa you get kicked out of the fraternity yep i can't remember if it was like a 2.5 or a 2.0 or a 3.0 i can't remember what it was okay so i mean you at least have to try i think exactly you got at least so that had a major impact on you you went through undergrad uh i got to visit you a couple of times we had a great time just a couple just a few (laughs) um but yeah you graduated undergrad um and uh i don't remember exactly but i was it right before you graduated that you met your lovely wife yeah so i it was the summer before senior year of undergrad i met my now lovely wife her name is rochelle and she's awesome but uh yeah we met the summer before senior year of undergrad she was a student at denison university out in grandview not Grandview, Granville. I'm sorry, Granville, Ohio. It's about thirty yeah. to forty minutes east northeast of campus. Um, so it was a little bit of a hike. And funny story, she was actually in an internship in Dublin at the time, and I was I was doing summer classes or something, and we had matched on Tinder. Oh, lovely. Yeah, we matched on Tinder, but yeah, we set a date. Uh, we set up a date. We went to World of Beer over at Easton. And we sat and talked for like four hours and kind of <laughs> that's both knew, awesome. You know, the rest was that is a, a sweet first date that you guys just hang out for four hours. Don't even, you know, do anything else except chit chat, have a drink and plenty of dates and plenty of awesome memories. And yeah. yeah, so you guys 
Um, she was what a year behind. No, nope, we were we're in the same year, so we graduated together, and then so during senior year, I was applying to dental school because again, I had a dream to become a dentist, and so I was going through the stress of applying to dental school. I took the dental admissions test. I had to go through the stress of dental school interviews, and you know, so I I had got waitlisted at two schools. One of them I'm not going to talk about. The other one I'm currently in, in dental school. Um, but the one that I'm not going to talk about, uh, they had offered a master's program to me. And, um, you know, I kind of took the bait. It was a little bit of a bait and switch. Uh, the promises that they were giving to us in this master's program turned out to be false promises. Uh, but like I said, I'm not going to get into it. I'm not going to name the school. Um, but, yeah, so I... Uh, dropped that program and I decided to reapply to dental school. I didn't want to go there anymore. Um, and I wanted to continue my life and reach my, achieve my goal. And so I reapplied to one school and one school only, the Ohio State University. Who would have guessed? Who would have guessed that? Born and raised in Columbus. Born and raised in Columbus, Buckeye through and through. Um, you know, I felt like if I was going to go to dental school, if I was going to make it, I was going to go to one school and I was going to do it right. You know, and I'm so happy where I'm at. Um, you know, again, I've I had to face a lot of adversity. You know, it is not easy wanting to go to a professional school and struggling with ADHD. Oh, I'm sure. I'm and sure so, that is like a major challenge. I mean, we're talking like I had to force I have to forcibly force myself to sit down and study. And like, you know, like I have to make a conscious, conceited effort because if I don't I get distracted or I'll get, you know, I'll forget something or this or that. So, um, you know, it was really hard learning how to live with ADHD. And I finally, I think I cracked it. I think I cracked the code. I mean, I, to kind of tell you about my, I guess, journey in dental school. Yeah. I started dental school in 2018. Yeah. In the fall of 2018. And, um, I struggled really, really hard. Now I was also planning a wedding. I was living, I was in a long distance relationship with my fiance at the time because we had gotten engaged. Uh, we hadn't gotten engaged the previous March and I started dental school. I moved to Columbus in June. I moved in with you. <laughs> we lived together for a little bit. We, we did live together. Best roommates ever. <laughs> absolutely and then uh yeah so we were long distance and we were planning a wedding and then she finally got a job here in columbus moved out to columbus and then you know but i was still struggling in dental school i was going through a lot of changes in my life and you know i had a little bit of imposter syndrome you know i didn't really know if this was if dental school was the right place for me you know i had lived this dream since i was in eighth grade of wanting to become a dentist, but I didn't know, was it my dream or was it my parents' dream? Yeah. And so, you know, I eventually, obviously I'm still, in, I'm in dental school now still. Um, I, I had to take a gap year, uh, not a gap year, a leave of absence. Uh, I was dealing some, with some health issues. And so I stepped away from dental school for a year. I started working. I was planning to come back, but then COVID hit. So then I was really planning to come back. Yeah. Because I knew that I needed, I wanted to help people. I knew I wanted to become a dentist through and through. 
And that really was my dream. And so I decided to pick back up where I left off. I tackled my studying issues and I hit the books head on. Last year was probably one of the hardest years of my life. I took anatomy with integrated embryology, histology, and neuro neurology. And um, we had, um, I took physiology, I took general pathology, I took pharmacology last year. I took a lot of really hard classes. Like these are all, all of these classes are like known as like the quintessential like dental school weed out classes. And it's funny because going up to dental school, I always thought that undergrad was for the weed out classes. I didn't think that those existed in dental school. It weeds out the weaker people who can't even make it there. Yeah. So I don't want to call people weak, but just the people who don't want to do it for a living. Exactly. And so, um, yeah, so I was really struggling with figuring out how to learn this new way and how to get through dental school. And so, you know, now I'm currently in the, I guess we'll call it the second half of my second year. I'm completing all the dental-related hand skills courses. Um, you know, I'm in one of my classes, I'm creating a complete set of dentures. In, you know, one of my classes today, we just made bleaching trays for each other. Last week, we took our impressions. And, like, you know, we're doing dentistry. Like, we are becoming dentists. I'll be in clinic in less than nine months. And I'm so freaking excited. <laughs> it sounds exciting. So you guys are actually like now you were in the books pretty heavy learning, I guess, like the foundation uh, the first two years or so. And now you're getting into like the hands on fun stuff. Yeah. And so I'm so traditionally dental school is four years. And the plan that I'm on is a five year plan program where the sec basically the second year which is notoriously known as the hardest year for dental students yeah i mean you're taking all of the hardest classes in all of dental school in one year and um you know so for me it, that was broken up into two years to allow my adhd brain to take more time to process things which is how my brain works it just unfortunately takes more time to process yeah. So I need to spend more time studying and more time learning. That's so wild. And like you are crushing it. You're Thank doing you. a great job. I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> I mean, I've watched all of this from the sidelines unfold and I think you're just doing an amazing job. I think it's so cool that like you told me when we were like 13 years old or whatever, like little Gary's I'm going to be a dentist it's just like all the other kids that are like, I want to be a fireman, a policeman. Like I want to be a doctor or whatever. And like most people don't do that. Like you just don't exactly. have those dreams, but like you actually lived the dream. You understood what you wanted to do at a young age and you are here crushing it almost like what? Two years away, two years away from graduation, two and a half about two and just a half. over two and a half. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll be in clinic. I'll start treating patients in less than nine months. Wow. So I, I will get my first patients here soon. And I'm, I'm more than excited. I'm, I can't wait to, you know, impact people's lives and their oral health and to, you know, improve their oral health. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, so with that, like 
you at a young age, like we already said, you knew what you wanted to do. Have you thought about like what, what comes after graduation? So, um, you know, I'm right now just kind of going through school with an open mind. Uh, A lot of people will start dental school with like a preconceived notion of, I want to become an oral surgeon or I want to be an orthodontist. Well, I'll tell you one thing right now is I don't want to be an oral surgeon or an (laughs) orthodontist, Uh, but I am keeping an open mind. Um, You know, I've had, you know, currently I'm one of the classes I'm in is orthodontics. And in that class, I'm really not enjoying it. So it, (laughs) shows me that I really don't want to become an orthodontist you know I get to see what orthodontists really do Mm -hmm. everyone just thinks orthodontists go and look and then go to the next kid and look and they don't really do anything but orthodontists jobs are really involved I mean it's all from the it's all in the background it's all from the treatment planning you know and a lot of these cases are very complex wow and I know that that's something I don't want to do (laughs) But, you know, I'm I'm super excited. You know, like I said, I'm keeping an open mind. A lot of a lot of uh, my older peers, they said to keep an open mind through your first year of clinic and really, really like get a grasp on every little different procedure. Mm-hmm. And then you'll I'll be able to decide if I want to specialize or if I want to concentrate my focus into an area And I'll be able to. That's one of the really beautiful things about innovation in dentistry today is that you can do anything you want in the field and do that and do it well and you'll be successful. That's awesome. And so I'm super excited for that. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. So um, I don't know if your parents are going to listen to this, but is it is it the goal to stay here in Columbus or do you think you guys might move and do something crazy and exciting once again? That's a loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you this. It's not for certain either way. Again, I'm keeping an open mind. Um, You know, anything can happen. You know, I'll be applying to jobs in a market that's currently unknown. Again, because yeah. I'm not going to be applying for jobs until I graduate in 2024. You know, again, that's two and a half, just over two and a half years away. And so it'll be unknown what's going on with COVID, what's going on with the dental job market. You know, I may not be able to find a job or I may find the only job here in Columbus. Who knows? Right. You know, I think, you know, there are some really cool parts of the country that I would love to live in. You know, parts like Colorado Denver is a really cool city. Um, I love the West Coast. Um, you know, different, you know, just different scenes, different sites. You know, I want, you know, I, I would love to stay in Columbus. I've been a Columbus native my entire life. I, you know, obviously would love nothing more than to stay in Columbus. But if life takes me somewhere else, then that's life. Yeah. I, I, I like the ability to keep an open mind and say, We'll see where life takes me. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, so I, I remember something that uh, that you did. I don't remember what year it was, but when you mentioned the West Coast, you had this uh, cool thing that you and your dad did when you were younger, and you got to go to see Jimmy Kimmel live. Oh, what, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what, that was what, when you were in high school? No, that was actually, that was my first year of college. So first that year was, of college. 
That was like December of 2013, I believe. Okay. Yeah. What What was the? That was what eight years ago almost. Yeah. Like what? <laughs> what did so, you do? How'd you win that trip? So yeah, like you said, I won the trip. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was actually really well. It was both my dad and I. Um, ABC put out a Jimmy Kimmel's Biggest Fan Contest, and my dad and I. And when when I my first year of college, I was living at home, and so we always loved watching Jimmy Kimmel together. You know, it would come on, you know, late night TV. I was always a late night person. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Some studies have shown that some adults with ADHD are more efficient actually working at night. And so, like, I was kind of a night bird. Like, I, you know, got a lot of my schoolwork done after dark. And so my dad and I used to watch Jimmy Kimmel. And then we saw this ad for the Jimmy Kimmel's Biggest Fan Contest. And I was like, you know what, Dad? You know, my dad, he's, you know, an awesome poet, writer. I mean, he's, you know, he's an attorney here in Columbus, but he really has a way with words. And I was like, you know what? We got to write a poem. Like, people are probably writing these paragraphs about how they always watch Jimmy Kimmel and they love Jimmy Kimmel and blah, 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 blah. And we're like, and my in my brain, I was like, they want something different. I was like, let's write them a poem. And at the time, my dad was on a, uh, a kick of uh, acrostic poems. And so what acrostic poems are is you take, like, every letter in the name and you kind of spell it down the side. And then you start the sentence with that letter. And so we went, we wrote down, you know, J-I-M-M-Y-K-I-M-M-E-L vertically. And then we started with J and then we wrote, you know, a line about Jimmy. And, you know, we did a acrostic poem about Jimmy Kimmel or, you know, about how he made us feel, I guess. Yeah. Um, and why we were his biggest fans. And lo and behold, a couple weeks later, my dad got an email. Congratulations. You're the grand prize winner. <laughs> You win a round trip airfare, you know, a three day, two night stay at the Lowe's Hotel in Hollywood. You know, it was like a four or five star hotel. Like they, you know, they covered everything. All we had to cover was our travel and our, and our, uh, like our taxi fare and, uh, our food. You know, they everything covered, they covered for. everything else. And we got to go to the show. We got to go through the backstage entrance. And we got to go in, it wasn't like the green room where Jimmy Kimmel was. We didn't get to meet him, unfortunately. But, like, there was an area for, like, invited guests. And they had, like, a bar and 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 appetizers and stuff. And I was underage. I was a freshman in college. So I couldn't partake. But my dad did. And he said it was an awesome time. And he talked to a couple of producers or whatever, you know, just chit-chatting with people and having a good time. And then we got to see the show watch it tape live and it was just such a really cool experience and i got to travel around hollywood and la with my dad and that was a really cool experience that's awesome that's so cool i like you hear about these uh you hear about these experiences and like when when this crazy trip somewhere and like <laughs> i never do it like i'm not gonna win but it's cool to know that I know someone who actually <laughs> won one of these things. Yeah, I mean, we didn't think we were going to win. We were we just shot our shot. Yeah. We figured shoot your shot and and see what happens. And s somehow we won. <laughs> it was a really cool experience. That is so cool. Yeah. Um 
Yeah, that so come on ABC. Why did you guys not get to meet Jimmy Kimmel? If you're his biggest <laughs> fans and you're winning the contest, why did you not get to meet him? Yeah, I kind of thought that that was a little uh kitschy also. I was like we don't even get to meet him like come on. <laughs> and I think actually if I remember correctly, my dad actually brought a framed copy of the poem that he was like he wanted to give to him. Like we didn't know if we were going to get to meet him or not. Oh, wow. But he ended up actually giving it to one of the producers who did say that she was going to give it to him and she put it in his in his dressing room. Oh, wow. So Jimmy Kimmel, if you're listening to this or the producer who allegedly gave it to him, let us know. <laughs> I'm very curious. I'm curious, too. That would be awesome. If you still have that, Jimmy Kimmel, uh, that would be that would be really cool. That is that would be so cool. Um. Yeah, man. What what else have you done? What's what's uh what else is going on? There's just so much going on. The world's crazy right now. Yeah. With COVID and here's here's something that I'm interested in. I've talked to people and like during this crazy time that we're living in, I I like the stereotype, I guess, or the assumption is everyone just kind of sits at home and doesn't really do anything. But everyone has actually done a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we were, you know, when we were kind of last summer, we kind of got uh, cabin fever and we were like, let's just start getting together outside, you know. And so we yeah. got together. We had some cookouts, you know, and that was a lot of fun. Yeah. And uh, we actually got to go. Um, I mentioned him in the uh, in the pilot episode, Jimmy. You were also friends with Jimmy. Yeah. And we got Good to go visit uh, visit his place up at up the lake. That was awesome. I mean, that was a wild weekend. Yeah, it was. And Cranberry Resort up at Indian Lake really knows, really knows how to party. Yeah, the that place is awesome. Um, if anyone ever makes it to old Podunk, Ohio, <laughs> shout out to Cranberry Resort because yeah. it is a sweet place. Indian Lake is a pretty cool place in the summer. Yeah. I didn't really think places like that existed close to home. No. You know, we grew up here in Columbus, Ohio. Like, what? There's a lake? What? <laughs> <laughs> and it's just down the down the road? It's, it's an hour, what, an hour away? Yeah, maybe Something less. Like yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd, I prefer not to say much else about <laughs> that weekend. It was a lot of fun. Just a lot of fun. Um few drinks were had and uh we're you know we got to we got to celebrate life with jimmy and that was that was awesome yeah and we really got we got to understand how jimmy lives life or lived life yeah and uh you know he wanted everyone around him to be happy and he wanted everyone to enjoy themselves oh yeah and and, and we did that we enjoyed ourselves <laughs> and, and you know it was it was a really really good time and you know unfortunately you know his passing you know unti untimely passing absolutely um unfortunately you know he's no longer with us right but there's there's a pretty cool thing that uh happened with you and jimmy uh oh yeah that um so like one of the things that myself and Gary are into is uh, like bourbon. We're right near Kentucky, so we really enjoy bourbon. Uh, not like getting crazy, but we enjoy 
the whiskey tasting aspect. Yeah. And it's cool to get together with friends and you talk about it and just enjoy it and like, you know, just have a good time. Yeah, and you you originally got me into bourbon. You know, really it was like you you and your dad, you know, my uncles. Yeah, you know, they kind of you guys kind of really introduced me to the wonderful world. Or wonderful, oh, that's a tongue twister. <laughs> wonderful world of bourbon. Yeah, there you go. Uh, English. So Jimmy was also pretty pretty big into bourbon, and he had some pretty cool bottles that we were so fortunate to taste that likely are just, you know, they're stories of what these bottles were because they were just so rare and unique and that was one of the things that really drew me into bourbon like that's what like people say you know they fell down the rabbit hole like what made me fall down the rabbit hole so to speak was was really the history and the stories behind bourbon and you know like our grandfather loved telling stories oh yeah and so you know i love listening to stories i love telling stories as you can tell i'm here for however long telling my story and um you know so when you know i really started to learn about what bourbon is what makes bourbon you know the history behind it and all the stories about the bootleggers and this and that and it really, you know, made me fall in love with the spirit even more. And, you know, it helps that it tastes good and it makes you feel good, too. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, yeah, so we we got connected with some people, like, locally and even nationally. And, uh, you know, we all just come together and enjoy a, a nice dram of bourbon and... Uh, one of the fun things that we got into um, was we'll give each other like secret Santa gifts and mm-hmm. they are like, it's, it's not your average secret Santa gift. Like no, it's, this is... it's over the top. Yeah. Amazing. And it is like during, we don't know quote unquote who gets who, but like afterwards you find out or like when you're opening it, there's like kind of hints. If you know the person, like they'll you're going to get a hint of who it was. Right. Uh, so you had the cool experience to get Jimmy for yeah, so, Secret Santa. So somehow, you know, the way the algorithm worked, you know, uh, somehow Jimmy and I both got each other. And yeah. Um, but yeah, Jimmy was my Secret Santa. And, um, luckily I actually, I can't remember. I think I received, I can't remember if I received it before. It was right before he passed. Yeah. It was, it was like a week before he passed. Yeah. And, and I received it and I, he, he gifted me some amazing bottles, you know, and I, one bottle in particular that I have sitting at the very top of my bourbon cabinet, you know, it's a Blanton's gold you know, that I'll forever cherish and, you know, we'll be able to sip together on his birthday, you know, or on his, you know, anniversary of his death, you know, and to celebrate him and, you know, what he was about. Um, You know, he also gave me some Cuban cigars that we were able to smoke when we, after our grandfather passed away and we celebrated his life. Yep. And through Jimmy's generosity, you know, and that gift, you know, he was able to help us. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I think one of the like really cool things about this Secret Santa and you getting uh, Jimmy was that it didn't matter what monetary value you spent on this box, but he recorded his opening of his Secret Santa gift and that like seven or eight minute video of him opening a gift and him being very, very wealthy. Like you didn't have to send him something that cost 10 plus grand to make him happy. Right. Like you, you didn't spend insane amounts of money just like, no, it was, it was under a thousand dollars. Yeah. It was, it was, it wasn't the monetary value. It was the thought that you put into it. And like, yeah, you hear about that all the time. It's the thought that counts. But like you, when you watch Jimmy open it, you saw the, you saw that you put thought into it and you knew who was getting it and you were excited to give that gift. I know you were excited. I, I, I kept telling you, I told you everything that was in that box. Yeah. And I kept telling you, I was like, oh, I got this for Jimmy. I got this for Jimmy. I was yeah. so excited, you know, uh, and I, it was funny, though, when I like when I learned that Jimmy was the person that I was Secret Santa for, like I was really nervous because I was like, who, you know, how do I get, you know, what do I get for someone who has it all? Someone who right. has, uh, you know, all the money and all the bourbon in the world. You know, he really he had he had bottles that are one of one right and 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 so you know what do you get for them and fortunately for you and you know through our friends and me getting to spend the weekend at the lake with him you know and you and I was able to kind of understand him a little bit and figure out what he liked and you know one of my love languages is gift giving right and so you know I it really warmed my heart to be able to do that and then we got that video of him and it was like the last video we have of him because yeah. he, he passed the next day or yeah. it was two days later i can't yeah remember. he passed he passed pretty soon after unfortunately uh i mean the fact that he got to you know get a, a pretty cool gift and the excitement and the happiness that was shared even though it was virtually it, it was awesome mm-hmm. um yeah but yeah um uh, I'm, I'm very sad that our boy Jimmy is gone. Um, you know, we always we always drink in his honor. We always play his favorite songs. Yeah. The man loves Steve Winwood. He really does. Nothing better than higher love. And because of him, we love Steve Winwood. Cheers to Jimmy. Cheers to Jimmy. Yeah, let's let's take it uh let's take it a different route and like what so I know, obviously, like, your wedding day was the coolest day of your life. Best day of my life, hands down. What's the next best day of your life? Getting engaged, probably. All right, all right, all right. What's what's the next best day? I have no clue. <laughs> there are so many good days in my life. Well, let's hear about them. Oh, man. Um. Oh, when I got accepted to dental school. Yeah. I think that that's definitely top three right i remember getting that phone call from uh the admissions office at ohio state in the dental school and and i answered it and and terry porter who was the uh admissions 
the head of admissions at the time, you know, he's on the other line and he goes, is this Gary? I was like, I was like, yeah, Terry. He's like, yeah, it's Terry. Congratulations. I wanted to call you and be the first to let you know that, you know, we'd love to have you here at the dental school here at Ohio State. And and I just I lost it. I was I was overjoyed. That's awesome. You know, and I was overcome with emotion. I immediately called my parents and called my future in-laws and, you know, and, you know, it was, uh, it was a rough time because, uh, my grandmother was actually in the hospital at the time, uh, my dad's mom and, uh, and to, you know, to be able to, you know, get into dental school and accomplish that, you know, and. You know, she was on her deathbed. She had passed about a month later. Jeez. Um, you know, and that, you know, for her to know, you know, she was the first to know, well, one of the first to know that I was going to get engaged. She actually was one of the first people to see the ring. Um, not in person, but over FaceTime. And then, um, you know, she, again, one of the first people to know that I got into dental school. You know, now she's shining down on me, you know, helping me through dental school. That's awesome. That's so cool. I didn't know that like in like dental school, maybe specifically dental school, but like they don't just send you a letter. They call you. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, it's December 1st every year or December 2nd, I guess, depending if it's a Saturday or Sunday. But anyways, it's like the first day that dental schools can notify people that they're accepted. And then you have like two weeks or a month to respond Wow. And then, yeah, because the dental school admissions process, because it's highly selective, you know, they have a wait list and they'll just go down the wait list. If people get accepted to their number one school, you know, and they drop from one school, you know, and so it's it's kind of like a mad dash. But luckily, somehow I got that call on December 1st that I was in. That's awesome. That's so cool. Um, So being being like a dental student do you have like a dentist hero like is that a thing i mean i would say my my dentist growing up um you know dr tilson you know he was the one you know when again back in eighth grade when i decided i wanted to become a dentist um you know i approached him in synagogue on saturday and i was like hey do you think i could shadow you for a day and he was like, absolutely. Like, and I, here I was like a 13-year-old. Like, can I shadow you? Like, you know, I didn't – or he didn't know what to expect, I guess. You know, but luckily he was willing to bring me in. And I got to look over his shoulder all day and see what a day in the life of a dentist was like. Uh, he actually told me ahead of time um, some of the procedures that I was going to watch. And one of them was a root canal. So I went home. And I looked up a YouTube video on how a root canal is done and what, like, what is a root canal. And so I learned everything I could about a root canal. And I remember going to that appointment and his patient was an elderly patient who was very nervous. I mean, he was ready to jump out of the chair. He had severe dental phobia. And uh, Dr. Tilson was getting the operatory set up and everything. And uh, I had asked him if I can explain the procedure to the patient. And he was like, sure, let's see what you got, kid. <laughs> and, you know, so I explained to him, you know, what I had learned. And, you know, the patient got comfortable in his chair and he seemed to be somewhat at ease that, like, 
here's this 13 year old telling me what's about to happen in my mouth. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and I remember, you know, he, he tells this story when he was drilling on the tooth and, and he was going in with the files in the root tips. And I go, Hey doc, did you reach the apex yet? The apex is the tip of the root. You know, the very, it's the very bottom of your root of your tooth. Okay. Um, the very tip of the root of your tooth. Um, you know, and you have to get all the decay out. Yeah. And so, um, you know, or all the uh, root contents out. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I haven't taken endo yet. So I don't know all the details. Right. But like you're you're watching the, uh, the I forget his name. The, or and the dentist. Yeah. I was watching yeah. him, dri- you know, going in with the files and I was like, hey, did we hit the apex? Yet? He tells that story. Okay. Was he was he like impressed that like a thirteen year old knew that? He was like, very he was very impressed. I'm like I'm trying not to toot my own horn, but he's yeah. not here to tell the story. So I, <laughs> I kinda gotta share it on his behalf. Right. The I mean, if I was in his shoes, I'd be like, What did this kid just say to me? <laughs> like <laughs> this genius. <laughs> well, um, thank you. <laughs> I don't really think that way. Eh, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's cool though. Like, uh, I think it's awesome that you actually grew up with your dentist being your hero, and yeah. like actually, like calming down a patient is uh, an interesting, I guess, experience. That I don't know. It just seems like that's not a typical thing. <laughs> I don't know. I think part of it was because I was a teenager. You know, I'm this eight, you know, thirteen year old kid, and so I kind of really didn't really have much fear. Yeah. I was and just kind of like, I'm just going to go for it. Balls yeah. to the wall. Yeah. And you've always been like a very extroverted person too. So I think that might play into it. Definitely. Yeah. I like to talk. I talk a lot. <laughs> I talk too much. Yeah. You're, you're the extroverted person. I'm the, I'm the introverted one, but yeah, it's, it's cool. Balance. We got the balance here. Life is all about balance. <laughs> um, yeah, so we've been here for a while, and uh, I want to ask you a final question that um, I want to get your honest thoughts, and I want to know what you want, like, like this is recorded, and it's going to live on for however long it's going to be on the internet, so I want to know what piece of advice do you want to live on as what Gary said and that you want like your kids, your grandkids, whoever else in the world that listens to you, what do you want them to know? What advice do you want to give them? All right. I'm going to give the world, the world of the internet that's listening to this one piece of advice. It is be 100% authentically yourself. Don't be afraid. Everyone, well, not everyone, but there are so many people in today's world that are so afraid to be 100% authentically themselves, and they go through so much heartache in their life. It is so important to be yourself. And if you're not able to be yourself, then you're not able to accomplish your life goals. And so, you know, I believe that, again, the key to accomplishing your goals are being yourself. And so, you know, that's my one piece of advice. Always be be yourself. yourself. Always Always be yourself. Don't don't be 
who you don't want to be for anyone else. Exactly. Awesome. Awesome. That that's a good piece of advice. I I love it. Um, but yeah, so thank you so much for being here, for being here for episode 002. Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Fatal to Prejudice. If you or anyone you know would like to be a guest, please visit my website at CameronChats.com and fill out the contact me form. Please fill out the subject line as podcast interview and write me a small blurb on why you or someone you know should be a guest. I'll leave a link in the description for ease of access. You can support this podcast by listening to it on your favorite podcasting site. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Another way to support is by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com forward slash fatal to prejudice. Patreon is the only monetary support system. If you would like to sign up and support through there, I am forever grateful for you. Again, thank you for tuning in.